My apologies for not publishing the second of three drafts total of Heart of the Sunrise which upon completion of Heart of the Sunrise third draft, it will also be its final draft written with intention for publication in the New Yorker and similar magazines and writing contests and I will be working on its corresponding notes, query letter, synopsis and outline. Thank you from the previously published first draft. Heart of the Sunrise is a chronicle of my struggles with mental illness and my efforts to use writing writing therapy to work through these difficulties, and the story of Georgie Gust, a fictionalized version of my teenage self. Georgie Gust attends a prestigious prep school, where he wrestles with his Tourette syndrome as well as his romantic feelings for the beautiful Claudia. Claudia is an intelligent and mature young woman who is willing to look past Georgie's tics and see him for the inquisitive, intelligent young man that he is, as their relationship progresses through midnight excursions off school grounds, the exchange of passionate letters, and profound conversations about philosophy and God. Georgie also struggles to confront the truth about his other afflictions and what they mean for his future. You can find me on Google+, Facebook, and Twitter, my preferred social media site. I have written a semi-fictional and semi-autobiographical best-selling novel, Jonathan Harnish, an autobiography, which is available on Amazon and through most major booksellers. Heart of the Sunrise is the next installment of my autobiography series. Other books of mine include Sex, Drugs, and Schizophrenia, Gladiator Not Me, Porcelain Utopia, Freak, of Crime and Passion, and the oxygen tank, I'm also a noted and, sometimes controversial mental, health advocate fine, artist, blogger, podcast host, patent holder, hedge fund manager, musician, and film and TV writer and producer. Heart of the Sunrise had begun as a work of non-fiction, in which the author describes, through a series of short, deeply personal essays his struggle with mental illness and the general sense of alienation brought on by his altered perception of reality. Through this writing therapy, the author attempts to reconcile the exhausting nature of his affliction with his desire to create art and engage with the world around him, taking the reader on a profound journey through the mind of someone wrestling with schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, and Tourette's syndrome, among other things. The author shares insights as he seeks catharsis. The story of Georgie Gust comprises the latter, main portion of the manuscript. Switching to a fictionalized narrative, the author tells the story of Georgie first by providing a detailed character analysis and then following Georgie through his time at prep school. Although his Tourette syndrome sets him apart from the rest of his classmates, it does not deter the mature and beautiful Claudia from pursuing a relationship with him. Seeing Georgie as more than a series of tics, Claudia recognizes him for the unconventional intellectual that he is, and together they explore a number of theological and philosophical questions that defy neat and simple answers. Nevertheless, Georgie and Claudia's encounters, whether they take place wandering illicitly off campus at night, through letters and emails, or simply in the hallways and classrooms of their school, have the power to change them both forever. However, Georgie must also confront the fact that there is more troubling him than Tourette's syndrome, and that this, too, may irrevocably alter his fate. When we were invincible heart of the sunrise a brief meditation on life and death, 
Victorian dream Georgie begins narrating his story in earnest, beginning with an attempted suicide attempt and flashing back to his diagnosis with Tourette's syndrome. Unhappy at home with his family, Georgie enrolls in boarding school at St. Michael's Academy. He gives the family of a prospective student a tour, and when they arrive at his secret crying place, Georgie is surprised to learn that not everyone necessarily has or needs a private place to cry. Disconcerted, Georgie realizes this is one more thing that sets him apart from his peers. However, he does befriend Sean, the prospective student, when he enrolls at St. Michael's, and the two boys engage in adventures like sneaking off campus in the middle of the night, wandering around town, and engaging with drunks and bums, those whom others might avoid. Claudia, Georgie's girlfriend, joins them on one of these evenings. Sean soon leaves the couple alone, and together Claudia and Georgie walk the dark, deserted streets talking about the existence of God. In class, Georgie is underwhelmed by the intellect of the other students, only Claudia's mind impresses him. Claudia is equally taken with Georgie, she sees past his Tourette's syndrome and admires his sharp, inquisitive intellect. Together, they explore profound questions of meaning, philosophy, and theology, as well as their deep feelings for each other. However, even as they declare themselves, Georgie struggles to articulate to Claudia that what troubles him is much more than Tourette's syndrome, and while their relationship may leave an indelible mark on his soul, it's what's happening inside his mind that may change the rest of his life. Postscript dreaming of a ridiculous man jumping ahead in time, Georgie recounts what became of him in the years after leaving St. Michael's, something altogether different to the preceding a literary look into what's forthcoming the author concludes with a recounting of his current situation and tenuous mental state. Heart of the Sunrise by Jonathan Harnish When we were invincible Heart of the Sunrise Why do people love life and hate death? Because life is a beautiful lie and death is a painful truth. Victorian dream the first week at St. Michael's, I had no friends, I quickly became obsessed with the graveyard down on Main Street, past Christ Church, close to Rex's Road. I would sneak off bounds and smoke a camel filters and sometimes a pipe or cigar when I had or needed more time to think about things. While the graveyard gave me hope, the bluff in the upper campus wood was visited for sadder contemplations. It looked over the Atlantic, and I read in some old book that the students in the 1920s and 1930s used to go up there to play with illegal drugs and drink during prohibition. My father, who did a lot of work with illegal shit, was a cop. I think he owed a lot of money to some corrupt loan sharks on Mart Street in Little Italy. One day out of the blue, he sent to me a huge check for $150,000. This depressed me profoundly. I headed up to the bluff midday and wrote to Pap. Dear Dad, why, how, I just received your mail and I don't think I need to tell you how dear you have been to me with your kindest offer I cannot accept for reasons beyond my knowing, nor, that in your kindness I've placed nearly all the satisfaction in my life, it was the only happiness I proposed to myself, and had set my heart upon it so that it was therefore made my punishment to let me see that. However innocent I thought my affection, it was sometimes falsely guilty, in being greater than allowable for this world. It's no boring comedy that gives me these apprehensions and inclinations, it's the result of a long strife with myself, 
before my reason could overcome my passion, or bring me to personal resignation to whatsoever is allotted for me. It's now done, I hope, and I have nothing left to persuade you of that which I assure your own judgment will approve in the end. Your reason has often prevailed with no offer, that which you would have done out of kindness to point of honor, and me I would have you do out of wisdom and kindness to yourself, not that I would disclaim my part in it or lessen my obligation to you, I'm your son as much as I ever was in my fatalistic life I, think more and I shall never be less, I've known you long enough to conclude that you have all the qualities that make an excellent father, and I shall endeavor to deserve that you may be so to me, but would have you do this upon just grounds, I know we're not a very rich family, and such as may conduce most to your quiet and future satisfaction, when I have tried in all ways to happiness, there is no such thing to be found in a mind conform to one's condition whatsoever it be, and not in aiming in anything that is impossible or improbable, all the rest is only vanity and vexation of spirit. There can be no pleasure in a struggling life, and that folly which we condemn in an ambitious man who is ever working for that which is hardly got and more uncertainly kept, is seen in all others' pride, stubbornness of nature that chooses to always go against the tide in others, an unfortunate fancy to things that are in themselves innocent until we make them such other by desiring them too much. I should justify myself that it's not lightness in my nature or any interest that's common to us both, that has written this change in me, to you that knows my heart, and from whom I shall never hide it, and whose friendship is built on common grounds, I have no more to say, I don't impose any opinions upon you, I might defy all that fortune could do, and putting off all in disdain and constraint, with that which only made it necessary, make my life as easy to me as the condition of this world may permit and allow. I may own you as a person that I extremely value and esteem, and for whom I have a particular friendship, and you may consider me after tonight, the 2nd of March, one that will always be, your faithful Georgie. P.S. Tell mom not to worry, as if she ever would. There I was, Georgie Gust, a new junior at St. Michael's Academy. A dreadful evening lay ahead, on the dusk of a new revolution of my youthhood. I was depressed with only a fat check in my bank account, and so I had snuck out of my humble dormitory quarters, which smelled of rank football cleat shavings and sweat. I needed out. I headed straight to Main Street, where I sought another answer. I began banging furiously on the huge oak doors of Christ Church. Emerging from my insides was pure and evil denial of the very God who had created me. The banging continued for quite some time. Haunted spirits were overshadowed by the compensating swiftness of my rage attack. I wanted to get inside and see with my own eyes if he was asleep, or dead. Why? God, God, show me yourself. Where are you bang bang bang? Nothing. So, I kneeled in front of the doors as if they were my sanctuary. Of course, I had prepared for this. I removed one Valium from my tiny drug mart bottle. One pill, then another, then another then another, and so on, and I shoved them into my mouth until it was nearly full, I reconsidered everything for a moment, and then added the rest of the bottle, I used my left index finger to maneuver the downers to the back of my throat, and then made a vile gag, I couldn't swallow, so I chewed the pills as they were quickly dissolving with my saliva and swallowed, you're going to kill me, answer me, 
damn it, how could you have shamed me, why then I turned God and I'm weak and started crying, the little kid I was, only 17, I don't believe you anymore, you've become my own demon, how will it get better, how will it get better and I sat, facing away from the doorway, I was deeply saddened, alone and frustrated, I heard massive thunder bolting over heaven's rooftops, my tears fell with the following downpour of rain, I warmed my chest with my hands, it was nearly winter, but there was still no snow on the ground that year, the rain immediately came to a halt, there was a glare now, directly penetrating the center of my eyeballs as I looked up at the street lamp causing this, then another glare appeared, from higher up, it was a tiny star in the sky. The glare was so painful that I wanted to grab hold of this little star and choke it. I reached inside my soaked brown carpenter coat and removed a tiny revolver I had purchased the day before at the gun shop, on Center Street, downtown. I held the gun in front of my face with a stare at the tip of the barrel that pounded my brain. It was a plain gun. I sighed and placed the revolver back inside my pocket. The surrounding area was now completely empty and isolated. The streets, every cobblestone, gave off steam. There was a cabbie fast asleep at the corner of Main and Hart Street with his off-duty sign lit. Soaked with rain, I stood up and started walking back. I heard somebody running after me, but I couldn't give a hot damn. I ignored everything except my conscience. My head was face down, a little girl, wretchedly dressed around eight years old and nervous, began tugging at my left elbow, I ignored her, she then clung onto me as I walked, but still I gave no response, she was so terrified that her words to me were barely understandable, mum, 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 mum she cried, I attempted to scare this fiendish child away by stomping my feet strongly on the street, she grew even more frightened, sir, sir I looked down at the little girl's innocent face, it was pudgy, brown and had scratch marks on the right side and on the chin. The girl ran off to an old man with a long black raincoat down the next block. When I returned to my quarters, I could smell the sleeping breaths lurking, which smelled of the night's large pizza pies and pepperoni flavor from my sweet mates. And Chad Donovan, next door to mine, snored, as usual, I could tell his window was open because the cold air from outside made him sound so sickly, I didn't bother drying off, I sat on my bed, made with hospital corners, and aimed the revolver at my right temple, the gun did no good for me at the temple, so I directed the long barrel to the center of my heart, the broken heart, after careful contemplation, I pressed the gun harder and harder into my chest, but I didn't know when to pull the damn trigger, so I stuck the barrel inside my mouth, for fuck's sake, I couldn't make up my simple mind on where to shoot myself. The phone on my night table rang once, twice, with revolver in mouth, I answered calmly voiced, but with my heart pounding like the cylinders of a log truck coming after me at a hundred miles an hour. Hugh wow dial tone. Suddenly, an image floated beside me, kind of like a hallucination. I tried to resist it. It was the innocent face of the little girl whose mother must have been in trouble. I withdrew the gun from my mouth and fell, fully clothed, back on my bed for a natural evening's repose. The Valium would keep me asleep for 20 hours. Nobody ever dies from a Valium overdose. They just sleep. 
I couldn't close my eyes for a half hour, and my window shades peered open a bit. The rain had completely stopped and I could barely see the tiny glaring star that almost ended my life that late, dreadful evening. As I slept, spirits soared and we were transformed, drifting further and further into unconsciousness. I was brought back, way back, to when I was just a dead fetus in my mother's womb. I know this was a valid memory, because my mother told me when I was 13 that I was born unconscious. I felt a murky, muddy, soft rubbery sensation around my body. I was curled up and couldn't move. I could hear bubbling, burping, churning, and swimming sounds. I wasn't too clear on what was going on. Christ, I wasn't even born yet. It seemed like I was swimming in a bowl of chocolate gelatin. Then, after a few moments of supreme harmony, it stopped. I'd been convinced later on that I was born with a horn-headed monkey that lived on my shoulder. One Thursday, this thing made its way on across my face. My squinting eyes would manifest qualities of a hellish demon. I'd hop on my right foot, just the right one, skipping, almost in a patterned fashion. It was like step 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 hop step hop step step step. People questioned it. I'd just sprained my ankle, or I fell off my bike doing the ghost rider. I'd throw my head back, catatonically, twist smack my stomach and not because I was hungry or anything. Fight urges to stick my pinky finger on a burning stove. Ridiculous outbursts due to absurd situations I couldn't tolerate. My French teacher at Danville Middle School, Madame Baranga, she'd make us do little skits in front of the class, and my heart would pound. I had to run out in panic to the water fountain to catch my wind. Madame Berango would often speak with me after class to tell me how great my test scores were. Sometimes I couldn't respond to her as the words, I just couldn't get them out. Could have just been some Freudian sexual eyed repression type thing. But she was an old lady, not some Duraney, John Taylor worshipping teenage glam rock disco chick like Tracy Harrell, to whom I was just a freak anyway. I mean, this was something wrong. This was something I've never. This was God and bizarre. I wasn't completely aware of a nervous symptom until someone called my attention to it. And one weekend, because I no longer believe that my twitching and compulsions and obsessive thoughts were caused by me, my own weakness, but by something remotely supernatural, something beyond me, I woke up one morning and went into the upstairs bathroom in our house and looked in the mirror. I tried to hold as still as I could for a long while. Wakening the ghostly spirits inside me, waiting as still as I could until I had to let loose, and then regaining temporary control of my body. Restless, I watched it. I watched my long tongue crawl out of my mouth as if it were a threatening snake. As soon as it prodded up and touched the tip of my nose, I snowballed into a laughing frenzy. The whole time my parents were naturally concerned, they'd seen me. They finally made me sit on my father's lap on the living room sofa as my mother just stared at me from a distance. The hell was I supposed to do? Before she grabbed a Super 8 movie camera by her side, she just stared with utter awe. How was this for me? My parents analyzing every motion, movement, probably my inner thoughts as well. Why? Why did I put up with this? Twelve years old, and yet like an infant. They took me to a doctor, a neurologist and I was immediately diagnosed, a unique case of something called Tourette's disorder, a syndrome, 
neuropsychological. I was put on strong risky drugs and when they said, drugs, the oppression sunk in. And as others finally gave up on trying to ridicule, anger, and shame me, they all still regarded me as a curiosity. But how odd I really was to them was my own evil horn-headed monster with me our secret my joke on them. My mom was a public drinker. Dad, I didn't know his habits and flaws at the time, but I knew that I was one goddamn handful to both of them. My older brother, Craig, thought I was a punk. Ironically Craig with his green hair and several earrings, he never talked to me much. This super pseudo self of others had no clue how alone I was, how ashamed, depressed. I felt like an outcast. I was an outcast. I was a cocoon in hiding. I begged my parents to send me away so I could scope out and broaden things and so I wouldn't become a delinquent. And that's how I ended up at St. Michael's Academy as a postgraduate. Finally, I wrote to my mother. I knew she'd be flat wasted when she read my letter, but I sent it out anyhow. Mom, sorry I haven't spoken or written in a year, but sometimes the most important things are the hardest to say. Words seem to diminish everything. My journey to life near the city, which would have extremely delighted me, would have incited me to contemplate nature, would have inflamed me with the joy of living, left me cold. The traffic was no rougher, no harsher than the feelings of my soul. The small and tall buildings were not livelier than my blood, my dorm room not more overlaid, and the food not more indigestible than the contents of my imagination. When I arrived, I was awake many nights engaged in multifarious and sometimes devious occupations. I went through struggles and experienced much stimulation from within and without. Mom, with sincere hope that the dark clouds which hang over our family will gradually disperse, that I shall be permitted to share the immeasurable love, which I often have not been able to express as I should like, in the hope that you too, mindful of my storm-tossed feelings, will forgive me when my heart must often seem to have gone astray as the burdens of my spirit have stifled it, I beg in your conduct to stay well. I broke nearly all existing ties with the old idle circle of friends back home and nights out and getting nowhere. I got screwed up, mom. I had what they call a sugar daddy, he was really rich and would take care of me and do stuff for me. He was a psychiatrist, you know a medical doctor, but he was the biggest druggie. We would snort coke all weekend long, we'd hang out, he'd go to work during the week and we'd hang out at his house or my room at St. Michael's, and he would prescribe drugs for me, like Xanax. My friends used to come over and we'd have Xanax do parties, but I began thinking of you and, well, dad, and I got sick of it all, and ever since leaving the MD, I sought to rehabilitate and immerse myself in the learned studies taught here and reading for pleasure, Sartre, Dostoevsky, to name a couple. I still like traveling off-bounds, underground, into Manhattan, the raw youth inside me beneath the Puritan levels of standard motivation. But I didn't know why. Must we always be asking questions? Well, yes, I suppose, but not because of the oppressed society. The people that damned me as a little kid and killed dad? What is society anyway? Some general gathering of politically correct, socially capable masters of existence. I know now that my past means nothing and the future is unpredictable. My body is finally being cleansed. Keep well. I remain always your loving son, 
Georgie. I needed to get away from it all. I was quite the unhappy lollygagger. I had packed and prepared to commence my postgraduate studies at St. Michael's Academy in Delvin, Connecticut. The people in the train station back home looked fucking pathetic, sleeping on seats, bored and lonesome, staring out the windows at nothing but tracks, running by and diverging, crossing each other faster and slower. I traveled above the earth, through tunnels, but I was perhaps inspired by the fact that there are times in life that manifest themselves as boundary posts, sort of marking the end of a period, and at the same time pointing in a new and promising direction. When I arrived at St. Michael's, a new world had just opened up before me, the world at first of love that was frenzied with yearning and void of hope. I met with Dean Taylor, Martin Taylor, dear, of the sixth form boys, which included postgraduates, we both agreed I should enroll in the inductive reasoning class, taught as an elective by Miss Heidi Barillo. Taylor also mentioned that he'd recommend me to become a Gold Key Society campus tour guide for potential incoming transfer students. It was a clear New England morning and I was 19, a Gold Key student guide at St. Michael's Academy. I was having a splendid time as I shepherded Mr. and Mrs. Patrick Fitzgerald and their son, Sean, from chapel to gymnasium to dormitory. Brightly and articulately, I bubbled praise for my school. I was, in fact, particularly proud of the new arts center. These are beautiful buildings, aren't they? This is our new arts center. Took six years to build, given to St. Michael's by anonymous alumni, some $12 million. Then I paused, hey, I'll bet you'd be interested in this I said, pointing up to the wood. We walked up a rocky and narrow pathway past the upper campus area together as Sean's parents bragged about their son like I was some goddamn admissions officer. Then I glided ahead, I waited for Sean and his two parents at the top near the bluff. Isn't the view incredible I exclaimed, Mrs. Fitzgerald was quite impressed at the beauty of my place. Yes, this is gorgeous. The three of them swept the horizon with awe. The view from the bluff was indeed magnificent. The sloping green hills ran down to the blue water for miles and down to the Atlantic coast. Sailboats, their colorful spinnakers were at full wind as they darted among the white caps. Then suddenly, all became absolutely quiet. My youthful face grew less positive and more innocent. My eyes followed the boats for several seconds. What goes on up here? Georgie asked Mr. Fitzgerald, strictly curious about my secluded area. This is where I come to cry. Everybody's got to have a place to cry. I answered with the truth. Hell, this was a tour of my school. We were now in my territory. Everybody asked Sean's mom. Darling, calmed her husband with his hand gently rubbing her shoulder. Well, maybe just me, I confessed. I then thought that maybe this was not a good side trip to have taken. Sean questioned in his anguish, is it that bad here so I took them back down the wooded pathway as I explained, deep structure regulation, the uniforms may be gone, but the uniformity still abounds, control is by no means lax, naturally, there are prohibitions against stealing, cheating, possessing firearms, drugs, alcohol, and inappropriate sexual behavior and compromising the reputation of the school, kids do it. It's kind of easy to break dorm rules, dining hall, smoking, dipping, bike permits, I have a bike here, it's not a problem, I mean, 
Being a teenager usually centers on dating, cruising, hanging out. But, here, we live with our friends day in and day out. Some garbage can happen, but really at any school like this. Balloon fights, panty raids, scandals, and triumphs. Sean was thunderstruck when I said triumphs, I hope so, he said. Then he asked, are there any single dorm rooms for the next crop of incoming transfers? I like a lot of privacy, and he smirked to his parents as they looked down at him, his father almost outraged, probably thinking about his days of unauthorized co-ed visiting back during his prep school years. There's not much privacy, especially in the winter months when everyone gets rebellious, Halloween Sean asked, Halloween, it's kind of fun, we sponsor dances every weekend, a summer and winter ball, the last hurrah, like a prom, everyone goes all out with limos and things, Sean grew excited, mom, dad, I can bring Laura in from Glendale Glendale, I thought I'd better tell this kid more rules. You can only bring dates to the dances that are students here at St. Michael's. No outsiders, they say, and lots of supervision too. That sucks Sean whined, kicking the dirt beneath his loafers. Sean cried Mrs. Fitzgerald. Sean's dad was pissed at his son's attitude, like I gave a hot damn. Watch your mouth, son, or you'll go straight to brighter military. Sean moaned a short apology. I felt bad for the guy. We approached the steel admissions hall. I sent the parents, who both politely thanked me, up the rounded staircase and told them to speak with Mrs. Lyons. She would set Sean up for the interview. Sean remained outside with me. I had no class until half past eleven. I forgot the guy's name so I asked Sean again. He then reported his alias. Everyone called him Fitzy. So, do you think you'll come here I asked. I don't know. My parents are really assholes. My grandfather went here, he explained. My grades and SSAT scores weren't so hot. I submitted myself to Fitz. I sort of just came to get away from things, he agreed. That's why I wanna go away. My idea, anyway. Just have an attitude when it comes to authority over me, hot damn. I couldn't tell him how much I was like him. I wanted Sean Fitzy to be my best friend right then and there. But it was too early at this point in time. I said to Sean, but this place is okay. Didn't mean to startle you or your folks by bringing you all up to the bluff. No, it was inspiring, he affirmed. I wanted this kid in Smyrna to befriend me. I don't know. It's rough going to the best boarding school, whatever that means. 98% head off to the Ivy League and the rest just sort of sit around. Boring. To tell you the truth, I don't really know where I belong, Yano I comfortably convulsed a few absurd Toretta grimaces and neck thrusts. Couldn't help them. I didn't care until Fitzy caught me off guard. I don't mean to, he intruded politely. Are you like, nervous? Your eyes and I warned him, I have Tourette's syndrome. No big deal. He tried to understand. No, that's cool. Hope you don't mind didn't mind if I asked. I just thought you might hear. Yeah. Happens all the time. No big deal. Really? I confessed, keeping my cool. Sean changed the subject immediately, with the aid of some divine intervention, maybe. So, what's the toughest part about St. Michael's he asked, holding in all Toretta gestures without my conscious effort. I told Fitzy the truth. 
just that you can't really escape, can't really be alone, everyone knows who you are and what your story is, too small a student body, 2 to 1 student to teacher ratio, but, there are some decent females here, just hard to slip him into the cell for the night, if you know what I mean, and Sean Fitzy contemplated for a good silent one or two minutes, before announcing, father's some kind of diplomat at the UN I had my second girlfriend at this point, Claudia Nisbet, she was a beauty and quite mature, met her off campus at this local dive in midtown Manhattan the day before Fitzy's campus tour, Sean moved in my room on Halloween Eve, the next day, I took Fitzy out for a midnight run, Claudia said she had to catch up on some chemistry, Fitzy and I had our heads hanging out of the quad side window, right down the hall from our room, room number 214, we looked out for smart security PM patrol trucks, we both wore matching black jogging outfits with hoods, Fitz had cold feet, we better not get caught, he said, an element of danger, that's what makes it so exciting I explained and pushed him down the stairs, let's go I whispered loudly as we both tried to hold in our mischievous hysteria. We escaped campus grounds within seconds and walked and walked, past Rex Road and onto Durham Avenue. Nobody I knew from school even had any clue where this road led. It went on past Mariam, the next county, and on further for fucking miles past Hartford. In the middle of talking about some of my horrid experiences at SMA, Sean asked about the time a while back when I was thrown into a cold shower with all my clothes on because my dorm mates thought I was a twitching twit, what happened gated for a week after they put neat hair remover in my shampoo, I replied, Fitzy chuckled, insanity at around midnight, believe me or don't, but there was an old man, emaciated and frail, handing out flyers as very few cars stopped at one of the many Durham Avenue red lights. He was holding about 20 of them. Probably hadn't given a single one out. As we approached this old man closer and closer, Fitz and I saw open driver's seat windows closing. Sean was hesitant, but I walked right up to the man and said, What's going on? Guy Fitzy stepped in closer. The man was harmless, probably lived somewhere in the low-income housing area in Meridian Gardens. I'm handing out papers, he replied, faceless. The guy looked like he had never even seen a trace of any birth certificate in his life. He looked lost yet full of some kind of longing for hope in whatever the flyers he was handing out were all about. Free I asked, they are my thoughts, my thoughts are free. Yes, he grunted, I hopped, let me see I asked. The frail old man handed Sean a copy, then me, what are they about I asked clearly. I thought the man was a bit hard of hearing. He must have been nearly a hundred years old, if not over a century, and he explained all he was capable of. This, well underway fourth revolution in psychology I've developed over the years, we listened in more closely. When you look for the sources of all problems and how that just gets you all confused when you think you must always be right and how, if you think about that. We're all still infants until we've reintegrated psychology and spirituality together and, just take a look, we walked on to avoid contagiousness and Sean thanked the old man, I yelled back about 10 feet, way to go, sir and the man waited for the next red light at the intersection, we passed Meridian Gardens, all sorts of crazy nuts were out, 
This was something I had never seen before. It was, perhaps, the farthest I'd traveled on Durham Avenue since I don't know when. Suddenly, some lunatic lady ran across the street as a man's voice was shouting at her from the entrance to the gardens, You'll pay for this, bitch and she startled us, causing Fitz and me to trip and fall over her steps. I yelled at her impulsively, I, fucking shit, piss and, pathetic I grew frustrated. Everybody knows what it means to keep to his or her right and when we meet, we step out of each other's way. Sean pulled me up off the street. There was a goddamn hole in my sweet pants. Yeah, that fucking lunatic just forges straight ahead, without even noticing we're here, taking it for granted that we'll jump out of her way and let her blow by. I'm willing to yield to her, but why should she take it for granted and consider it my job? Pisses me off. The two of us continued on our midnight run. Sean remembered something. Hey Georgie, Chad Donovan, next door, told me 2.30 or out, cause you need the room, right we came to a halt. Yeah, what chemistry is Claudia working on anyway? She should be out here too. Probably at corner deli or gas and grill, crying in her wine glass cause she couldn't find me. Claudia appeared out of nowhere, the stunning brunette she was. Hi, I'm already here she said, scaring the hell out of me. Jesus I called with a bit of confusion, wondering how in the hell she found me past Meridian Gardens. Just because Kari dumped you, she told me, you two were retarded together. At least she was, what are you talking about I asked Claudia, confused. She had obviously been following us for a while. I just got here when that lady knocked you two over, and I heard what you said. I interrupted, oh come on, still pretty vulnerable on the subject, I paused, you've never, ya you know, popped the cherry with anyone, me, I'll be your first I asked, Fitzy looked like he was going leave any second, sort of embarrassed, I supposed, Georgie Claudia exclaimed, Fitzy, walking away, called out, I'm off, night thanks, Fitzo, I called to him, and he went back to St. Michael's to stay in Chad's room. I'm Catholic, Georgie, Claudia confessed, live by the laws, I lit a camel filterless, so what Claudia replied, so, I'll bet you can't quit smoking, for a week, you'll get gated, give me an honest clean week and I'll pay for your next sixer, non-alcoholic, I hopped, screw you, we were standing still, Claudia replied, that's not part of the deal, I really wanted to know, so I asked Claudia, do you really believe in God what you heard me, wait a minute, Claudia replied, confused, my facial tics were now extreme, this was an interesting subject, you said you were Catholic, just answer the question, or do you have too many thoughts crossing your mind about sex yes, Claudia said, yes to sex or yes to God I asked, with another hop, Claudia was ready to commence battleground territory, I know God exists, she said with affirmation, I had studied the ontological proof for years, I would not lose this small debate now, I hopped, how I asked, and hopped again, we started walking further on Durham Avenue, she tried to think of the correct wording, if, he doesn't exist, then his existence is, logically speaking, impossible, right, I answered, wait, why and Claudia used her hands, flamboyantly as she defined, by definition, God is omniscient, eternal, and independent, so he can't come into being, 
or be caused to come into being, Claudia, I suppose, forgot, or didn't know I studied logic independently last term, she was now up for a defeat, okay, I said, if there is not a god, then his existence must be, necessary I hopped, I dogged the subject, I was sure to nail her, what the hell are you talking about I said to her David Hume quote, it's elementary, my dear, he cannot have come into being, or cease to exist, cause if he did, he would be limited, and by definition God is unlimited, she said with nonchalance, so I demanded, so, God's existence is either impossible, or, necessary, and this is where I would nail her to the cross with arms stretched out, all right, I said, if God's existence is logically impossible, then the concept of God is self-contradictory, she invaded, but according to the laws of logic, the concept of God is not self-contradictory, damn, I whispered aloud, therefore, God's existence is necessary and God does, in fact, she said, exist, I was impressed, wow I exclaimed, no, 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 I said in disbelief, we stopped for a car passing by at the intersection of Durham and Kings Street, something to think about, hi Claudia summed up, well, I said, after thinking for a bit, just that there's so much evil in the world, we continued walking, yeah, but God didn't create that, she told me, I wondered, she repeated to me as if I were dumb, evil, confidently, I attacked, then how could he have created the universe if he's all-knowing, all good el diablo, Claudia suggested, and I thought about it, the devil, shit, this chick was smart, a long wait, then I shouted, Jesus as a homeless bum approached us both from behind, his face was now visible, a total druggie, schizophrenic, an older variation of Groucho Marx, hey guys, how we doing, mademoiselle, jumper, he said, fuck off, man I shouted at the bum, actually, Claudia told him, lying of course, we've got to head on, we have nothing to offer, just got back from an, um, a funeral, very depressing, still a bit distracted, sorry, really, I was confused, what I asked, I'm hungry, she whispered, the homeless guy went on, funeral, huh, gotcha, you guys got any change, I'm even taking checks tonight, what do you say my tics entirely diminished while speaking to the bum, man, I said, yeah no, we could use a 40, do you have any change, the bum emptied his pocket full of coins into my hands, Claudia smiled, thanks, man, I said in return, and the bum continued in single persona, yeah no, my uncle, he left a good 10 years ago, he used to race Clydesdale horses up in Saratoga, you know, those big Butweiser horses, yeah no, those big, huge ones, well, he was out one day on the farm and this horse, he got startled, and my uncle was caught in the horse's reins and his leg got caught and he, he was dragged to death, we had a lot of weird deaths in the family, they are all gone now, just, me, really, Clydesdale horses race I asked sarcastically, yeah, he told us, death can really wipe you out, I know what it's like to lose someone, you're no longer around, around here at any rate, and if there's nowhere else you'll be heaven, hell, with the beaming white light, then all that's left are your effects, leavings, traces, my dog died, Claudia told the old bum, really, was he old he asked, she, 17, a small dog, 
Claudia responded, I jumped in, my brother's dog's almost twenty, a golden retriever, they never live that long, the bum asked Claudia, it was your dog's funeral caught in the lie, she hesitated, what, oh, yeah, I jumped in again to save my girl, open coffin, and when the funeral director said, she will live in our hearts forever, it's somehow immortalizing the dead dog, I mean the assumption was that everyone listening the neighborhood friends and family, I didn't take the living in the hearts bit as a transitive relation, so that Fluffy would live in the further hearts where everyone there, themselves will live on, imagine, the guy said, she will continue in our minds until all leave this building when we will all promptly forget her, Claudia giggled, at my grandmother's funeral, I went on, way back, another thing I heard was like, as long as people survive, this woman will not be forgotten, her achievements will live on the bum corrected me, I'd add that people would live on for a long time, it's probably as close to immortality as a person can get, I told this homeless guy my real thoughts on this whole tale, but some people are disturbed with that with the thought that life will go on for others, yet, without themselves, it's like they are forgotten and left out, like permanent survival is not the ultimate goal, only survival as life goes on, it should never be that it's important to be around somehow, I mean, look at me, I sleep on a bench, walk around in the day, and beg, and someday, I'm going to turn cold and a significant life, you too, this innocent man told Claudia and me, leaves its mark on the world. Mine's on the far end of a Brooklyn-bound NR train in the city, it's somehow permanent, all three of us slowly stopped walking, I looked at my watch, it was nearly three, to be completely wiped out goes a long way towards destroying the whole meaning of life, the bum said, I pondered and offered Claudia and the bum a cigarette with a gesture, Claudia shook her head, the bum accepted, ejecting his filthy right hand, a grit, thanks, the bum was pleased, yeah? I smoke a lot, it's hard being homeless and have to support such a habit, he confessed, why, how much do you smoke asked Claudia, three packs, he confessed, three packs a day Claudia verified, I shook my head, beats me, and when I was a kid, like 15, 16, the bum went on explaining as he made a truly wet and disgusting sneeze, Claudia and I backed off a bit. The bum wiped his messy face with his sleeve and continued talking. Dart, I used to steal my grandmother's grits and take em to the attic. And now, it's like three, four packs a day. I mean it's hard. It's real hard. But, I mean, I don't care. Do what I want. I may live a terrible life but at least I don't have to pay bills to do it. Claudia was disgusted by the previous sneeze and started laughing hysterically. The bum walked on speaking only to himself, schizoid, why do you always give cigarettes to bums my girl asked me as we stood by a fire pipe with nothing else on our minds, it kills em, we headed back by a yellow cab we called from the payphone a gas and grill, the next day, the quaintly dressed and cute Miss Heidi Birillo was teaching my inductive reasoning classes she wrote on the chalkboard Tom Stoppard, Matthew Arnold, and the myth of Sisyphus Camus, I sat in the back row, as usual, the myth of Sisyphus is the key to modern tragedy, can anyone tell me who Sisyphus was Miss Birillo asked the small class of eight, this asshole, Fred Dominic, who always had to answer everything first while sitting in the front, alone, 
raised his hand immediately and responded, he rolled a rock up a hill, but it came back down, Miss Pirillo nudged him, way hell, he swore, right, the teacher pointed out, I didn't bother raising my hand, since I was always in the back, I usually chose the right to stand up before my desk to speak, sick of the subject already, I stood up and asked, why didn't he just quit some absurd laugh to fill the small room, this isn't an exercise in logic, Georgie, now how can we apply this to the modern age Barillo asked, Fred again, well aren't they just saying that we all just sit around and work and work at our little jobs, but don't really get anywhere yes, that's right, Barillo agreed, Chuck Barrett then spoke up, the hard jockey was, barely fitting on his chair, well, how does that apply to the play, I mean nobody really works hard at anything, then my sweet Claudia suggested something, I knew she hadn't even read the text, just some literary criticism in the library, well obviously the rock set in as far back as Matthew Arnold in a pool of purposeless ducks, or something like that, what bullshit, I thought, so goddamn cute and naive, good, good, well applied after what Stoppard is saying in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead Miss B exalted, Chuck had a keen thought, well, think of their deaths, first off, Rosencrantz describes the quality of death death isn't, and then you have their deaths now you're here and then you whack all, Fred agreed as I was becoming pissed off thinking about dad, yeah, the ultimate negative, he said, good, Fred, they simply cease to exist so that death is as meaningless as life utterly and completely thunderstruck, I stood and shouted at everyone, especially Miss Pirillo, that's bullshit, if that's what they are saying, then it's bullshit Georgie, Miss Pirillo blushed, that's no way to talk, I steamed, it's horseshit then I stood up, gathering my shit to take off and yelled, fuck, this play is shit the teacher couldn't believe my exuberance, Georgie gust, now sit down, or calm down leaving the room, I demanded, just fuck off and I ran outside, Claudia got out of her seat to try and catch up with me, I ran and ran, with drumbeats in my head for a long time, to the bluff, where I collapsed and cried under the radiant sun as the clock tower struck noon, father I never apologized for my exuberance that day, everything, I believed, was completely warranted, that night, I picked up the telephone receiver, which was hanging off the hook in the hallway of the quad dormitory, Chad told me some weirdo was on for me, hello, oh, hi, mom, how's Craig, what, what what you mean you don't know where he is, mom, mom, I can't, understand you, when you're like that, no, I didn't say you were I didn't say you were drunk, okay, mom, sorry, me, I'm fine, yes, mom, I knew I'm your only hope, you keep telling me that, fine, okay, bye, the receiver was slammed back on the hook, as I walked back to my room, I said to myself, out loud, I can't stand this place, I want to get out of here, the next morning, my alarm clock sung mechanically, you are invited to start the day, wake up, morning glory, rise and shine, over and over at 7.30am Claudia was sleeping with me, damn it, Georgie, will you shut that thing off I jumped out of bed, smashed the dock on the floor and jumped on it, then kicked it across the room, it was completely destroyed, time froze for a moment, then, I hollered, damn 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 damn, shit, 
Some lazy punk inventor thinks I can't get up at the right time. Who would invent such annoying, hopeless garbage still half asleep? Claudia suggested, we should maybe just get up, dress, eat, and possibly go to class, before we both get gated, it's not like that, Claudia, we must wake up, we must get dressed, we must go to class, it's imperative, getting caught up in so many necessities totally distracts me from the truth that none of this waste of time is really necessary Georgie, you're missing morning classes, like every day now. You don't want restriction on your last day, let's go, do it for me, then you know what I'll do, I'll drop out, quit, miss graduation, I really don't give a hot damn, to hell with the measures they put on me here, I've been clean for 6 months, and now it's classes, and I'm doing good, rather, I'm well, Georgie, I'm trying to help you, you can't quit now, you've got to be more consistent, consistency, charm, nonchalance, Discipline, a system of values, right I heard through the dean you're getting some big award at graduation, I wasn't supposed to say anything, you can't lose that, fine, I'll go to class, I'm finishing as it is, okay Claudia, do it for me, come on, Miss Birillo's cool, I'll just be late, I'm on your side, just remember that, everyone was drawing pictures in Miss Birillo's class, I with a collared shirt and a tie loosely fitted around my neck, cruised down the long hallway and slid in front of the closed door to the classroom, I stumbled in late, a round of applause welcomed me, then Claudia walked into classes I daydreamed, I did not consciously think, I assumed that everyone else was wearing clothes, that Miss Birillo was facing the class, everyone was speaking English, oh, Mr. Gust, long time. You've decided to join us on our last day of inductive reasoning. Well, you missed our Friday early arrival bonus points, she continued. Georgie, Claudia, I've asked the class to do something fun today, being our last meeting before the final exam, a keg party I said. The class laughed. I approached the back seat. Will this break? I fantasized, and fell through the chair. Faint laughter. No. Back to reality. I was safely sitting, my eyes, open wide, were making romantic contact with Claudia, the vibration was penetrating and she looked up, as Miss Birillo taught, I've asked everyone to draw a picture, so sketch a picture of soldiers charging down a hill like stampeding buffalo, hurry up, this is a brief lesson of consciousness and understanding, while the class was indulged in drawing all totally separate pictures, my stare was penetrating Claudia even further, she shrugged her shoulders, I folded my arms, exerting a futuristic shrugs, you need a pencil, Georgie Miss Birillo asked me, I stood up and walked to the front of the classroom, I was tick free, Miss Birillo stood aside, a bit hesitant, allowing me to erase the David Hume causality necessary connection and constant conjunction notes from an earlier lecture, I drew on the board, in large letters, J.P. Sartre, 1905-1980, classmates showed faces of confusion, from the front of the room, I stared at Claudia and offered a small grin, excuse me, Miss Pirillo, what goes on in consciousness obviously doesn't matter to understanding, there is no method, okay, we've got buffalo on grass, buffalo in dust, soldiers in dust, soldiers riding buffalo, soldiers in dust, Soldiers with buffalo, 
And lastly we've got the picture of a half soldier, half buffalo all different answers that illustrate the point. Please, I need those bonus points. I'm sorry, I walked back to his seat and fell in front of it. No reaction, I sat down safely. I see you've done your reading, Miss Pirillo said. Possibly I may be able to work out your term average with some understanding. Classmates showed faces of awe. I smiled. I winked at Claudia. She showed a half grin, which turned into a warm smile. Miss Spirillo asked the class, Well then, okay, does everyone understand what Mr. Gust has demonstrated? Yes yeah, whatever, sounds good to me. I drew a little buffalo dressed as Napoleon. Does that count? Claudia asked Miss Spirillo. How do you draw a buffalo? I asked Claudia as I glanced at her absurd sketch. Some laughter. Miss Spirillo smiled. Georgie, if you would like to make any further remarks, you're more than welcome to, that is if you don't take away my job. Miss Spirillo smiled again and the class laughed a bit more. I stammered, aaaa everyone is hereby excused from this room and invited to chow down in the dining hall. Just save me some meatloaf. The class got ready to leave, but, all boys must, of course, take off their hats, as it's required in the student handbook on page 63, or 4. The class rushed out, cheering. I walked over to Miss Spirillo. I was late again, Miss Spirillo, I said. She told me, you've got a long road of opportunity ahead of you, Georgie Gust. Keep at it. Miss Spirillo kissed me on the cheek and left the classroom. As I stepped out the door, I ran off. Claudia had been waiting for me, but I didn't notice her. She saw me running down the hallway. Georgie, Georgie she called. A pause. What are you running for? I came to an abrupt halt, turned around, facing the undaunted Claudia at a far distance. I galloped with nonchalance to the far end of the hallway to Claudia. I was thinking about mayor, or governor, this city, we need a better school system. Claudia laughed. All I was thinking about was having lunch at the yard. Some inspiration. You really gave me a lift before. That was quite something. I didn't know you had so much energy inside that noodle of yours. So much. Would you like to join me in the yard? I nodded my head positively. I waved at Claudia, like a prince to his princess, allowing her to lead the way out. Claudia and I had a private picnic on the grass in the graveyard. Eating for me was ritualistic. I took my sandwich and smelled it each time before biting into it, and then smelled it again and chewed with slatternly paste chomps and my elbows often lifted up near my ears, the left, then the right elbow. I squinted and twitched my nose, but I was pretty comfortable behaving physically terrific in front of Claudia. We had lunch together every day from that point on, but... My medication for the Tourette's had been discontinued for a week because things were going so well for me. Out of the wild jungle one day, rejoining me in full costume, the horn-headed monkey returned to its residence in me. This time it was going to try and kill me, the son of a bitch. I couldn't rid the forbidden entities of my life major downfalls. I took a leap of bad faith down, to that seemingly inescapable hellish wonderland. I was depressed, a deep dark, morose, static, stoic state of depression, it was like God had given up with me, but why, it was like God was involved in some kind of angelic accident and was killed or something, my doctor on campus immediately hit me up with a heavy dosage of an antidepressant called Wellbutrin, it would take, 
if anything, time, to kick into my system. The infinite clock was my best friend sometimes, yet, other days my worst enemy. Claudia offered to help me out, but she must have thought I had already saved myself, and I had been telling her how I wanted to do charity work when school ended and how I wanted to help others in some way at some time in the future. Mr. Monkey and my depressed mind couldn't convince Claudia that I was back to square one as far as my health was concerned. Now Claudia wanted me to help save mankind in its entirety. Last day of school and she truly believed my noodle had this capacity to save. Couldn't she see what was happening? But what should I do tomorrow? Rejected by Yale and Cornell, won't join the army. I want to save myself, but also help others. But I can't help others, I said. Why nobody thinks their upbringing is significant and relevant? Usually kids get screwed up. I am doing my job, and I'm not even a father. Parents should do better jobs. Parents name their own kids, right sure, Georgie Gust. I'm proud of my name and think it's relevant to who I'm I, said. Do you know what my first name is I'm not that screwed up, Claudia? Nope. Well, what is it guess, oh, come on three guesses, Marigold, Amanda. The hell is this Marjorie? Claudia's my middle name, she confessed. Are you kidding? Well, Marge, what should I do? And she told me, you see, you have this great capacity, the tolerance to serve, what's the word? Manner for the future, harmony, I see you as a real giver, the past is long gone, your father, you're rebelling against authority figures, yeah, 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 I said grudgingly, I understand completely, she said, now people respect you, they don't care how you dress, look, but what you can see, say, hear and comprehend, so what should I do I begged, you should attempt to try to keep your chin up, no more tears, no sweating, and no more hatred, you have the control, but I don't want my body, with all its sufferings and shortcomings, to serve just as a manner for future harmony, if that harmony is only a future one, I'm ready to serve mankind as well as my capacity lets me, probably 10 times better than all the faculty here all put together I'm sure you can, they want they need your service and you can offer it, but I don't want to be demanded of service, I really just want to remain absolutely free, altogether, even if I don't lift a finger but, you've got to love these people around you, who I won't ever see, who know nothing about me, and in turn will sort of disappear without leaving any traces or memories, Time makes no difference to this, what would be the worst case scenario of this when the earth in its turn, changes to a block of ice and flies through space, without any atmosphere, along with an infinite number of other blocks the same kind, the most ridiculous thing that could ever happen, it's like I've driven God out, in a horrible struggle, it was just he and I and now, it's just, me, and now it's my last day, like all at once forget mankind. I realize that I've been left completely out, and I think I'm full of goodness, so, won't all that great surplus of love inside you, all the thankfulness, you've tried to use for the beyond, won't you find your place on this earth with who, no family, no friends you have me, you must feel like an orphan, so what should I do, I beg you, but I'm not going to be here long, at any rate, no, 
Traces like that bum we met in town last night telling us how he left his mark on the world by scratching his first name on a subway car in New York City, you will remain, and after you, your children, and that thought that they will remain, continuing to love one another would take the place of an idea of reunion beyond all this, Claudia pointed to all the gravestones around us, oh. How could I hasten to love in order to stifle the great grief in my heart I would be proud of you, but fearful of others, fearful everyone else would tremble for the life and happiness of their supportive friends, family, people, is that why you go out with me I'm with you because, one day, and very soon, you'll look at these people around you with a profound gaze, full of understanding, and in their eyes, there would be love and grief, a long pause came between us. I took a look around the surrounding area as I thought to myself, some parasites of a new species, microscopic beings, had made their appearance, taking up their abode in human bodies, but these animals must have been spirits endowed with understanding and will, the people that affected them instantly became raving insane, but never was I more convinced that they were in possession of the truth, never had they a greater belief in the infallibility of their judgment about anything, whole villages and towns and cities, infected and lost their reason, they all lived in dread, and nobody understood one another, each thought that I alone possessed the truth that could discern good and evil, I read every day, people kill one another under the influence of senseless anger, Georgie, lie back and close your eyes, I followed her instructions, take a deep breath in, deep, deeper, you're breathing in life, now, take it a little further in, now let out, let out all the tension, release the tension, she blew out on my face and rubbed my temples, calmer and let all that excess out, even further, meditate, she kissed my cheek, I didn't respond, I was completely relaxed, I dreamed of walking over to a picture of Christ on the Baltic Sea, I stared at it, I picked it up, I've never been able to do without you, I told it, you came to me, stretched out your arms, and said, how could you have forgotten me I placed the picture away and lay down on the floor with my arms out and cried, a short while later, I was in the same position, with my arms stretched out on the grass, my eyes opened, on the whole, I'm sorry to have lost God, what do you mean Claudia asked, just, just a dreams, in our heads, or I should say in our brains, there are nerves, these nerves have fibers, and when these fibers begin to vibrate, you see, when I look at something, as soon as they vibrate, an image is formed not immediately, but after a second or so, an impulse is born, no, what am I talking about not an impulse, but an object or an action, that's how perception happens, then comes thought, right, from September, I said, Miss Spirillo and I have fibers, and not because I have a soul, or was created in God's image, what nonsense, I don't know, you're only going through a transformation, I know, but anyway, that's something, what, that I reject God, a thousand apologies, you're a Catholic, but you don't love God either, you don't love him, that's what you pull with us, you lie, Georgie I'm sorry, I understand completely what you're going through, far more than you need to come out of the depression and find happiness, you need to know and to believe that every minute, that somewhere else, there is a place for happiness for everyone, where, I want to go, 
What am I missing out on I pressed. The whole law of human existence consists in that you can, at all times, bow down to something infinitely great, and if human beings came to be deprived of this infinitely great something they would no longer want to live and would die in despair, why the infinite world is as necessary to you and me and everyone, and my friends, your support system support system I questioned, your mother, me, the great thought, the eternal infinite thought, the whole of the human race, whoever he or she may be, feels a need to bow down before it, even the stupidest person has this need, I wish I could see you understand this, Georgie, I really feel for you, and nobody knows, does everyone have this thought they can't do without it, you have to believe, you need to have the faith, the open-heartedness, if there were nothing infinite, we would not be king of the earth, of the universe, only whom would we love? For whom would you have been going to chapel to sing hymns of gratitude life and life will prevail over your system, and all the happiness you can't save will well up in us once more, I'll have to be off, Claudia, thank you, I had a really nice time, I gathered my things, just before you're condemned to walk down in the mines, if God is driven away from the earth, we will see him below the earth, if God is nothing, everything is permitted. It will be your task to find meaning in that. If God is nothing, everything is a matter of indifference. Temptation will vanish, I assure you. I walked away with my backpack, hopping away, like a bunny. I went to Christchurch and probably appeared to be uncomfortable sitting in a pew with my head down. I looked up at the stained glass Christ figure above the altar. I kneeled, then all was silent. I heard a baby crying from the back of the church. I looked back and saw a poor woman holding an infant in her arms, I looked back at the Christ figure, and then walked back to the woman, I touched the baby and spoke to its mother, she was quite a young woman, and the child would be about six weeks old, it was smiling at its mother for the first time in its life, she said, I saw her cross herself all of a sudden with the utmost piety, I asked her why, and she said to me, all the joy that a mother feels when she sees her child smiling for the first time, God feels every time he sees, from up there in heaven, a sinner praying to him from the bottom of his heart, those are practically the words that simple woman said to me, she expressed this deep, subtle, and purely religious thought, those people who know all is well are happy, if they knew that they were happy, then they would be happy, that's the idea, the whole idea, beyond that, there's nothing, that night, I took a shower and cleansed all the rawness inside me, I was dressed in a bathrobe, my hair was still wet, taking the occasional nip from my silver Russian antique flask, I pulled out Miss Birillo's final examination from the top drawer of my tiny desk, sat down, and read the directions to myself, create a logical essay on the premise that existence precedes essence, furthermore, using your own words, define the concept of God, I began writing, tapping my big pen in between each word or so, I wasn't thinking, I had stolen that as from puber marks, I was a crook, a robber, a fiend, a fiend, through the fault of my own, I zoned out that night, and this live bamboo tree kept chasing me and telling me all kinds of weird shit, and I realized what I had done wrong, my whole life, wrong. It wasn't any illicit street drugs or phony white lines, 
I told half the school I was in rehab to cover up the Tourette's, it was me, I had to keep up my own scaffolding, I became so absorbed in my writing and drinking that I began to hallucinate, I saw Mr. Jean-Paul Sartre in my nicking room, smoking a pipe, he walked over to my desk as I shook and JP looked over the work I was doing, Sartre picked up the copy of the final exam, Jean-Paul I pronounced, he answered me, he spoke, full of life, my hero, no, I am just an illusion, existence precedes essence, that does hat mean I told him what I had learned, it doesn't mean anything, actually, essence precedes existence, what something is, its definition, its idea, nature, function, actions, they are all the essence of a thing, we used to have a cat, Phoebe, and this cat around the corner from us once came over and hammered it, I was like 12 years old, disgusting, so he remarked, I continued, my point is that I knew for sure that when her kitten was born, it would rip apart furniture, which it did after Phoebe died, bring back dead mice and rats in shit in the kitchen and meow like a mother when we'd have dinner, and I couldn't have been more right, if you're thinking about getting a cat for company, you can if you want, cause you can already predict its characteristics before the thing is even born, that about you the ghost asked me, me, well, I'm messed up, but at least I know so, get to Z point, will you Sartre rushed me, I went on, it goes for everyone, Miss Spirillo was saying there's like this big pre-existing platonic cookie cutter that stamps out individual people, like we all exist in God's eyes before we're invented, I was an atheist, Sartre said and vanished, I wrote and wrote, more and more, note cards became my desk, the next day, after handing in my final in Miss Birillo's mailbox, I took a cab to the city, I read, the whole way, a French translation Claudia did for me, Le Duc sans phase, the game is over, the chips are down, and I thought I was just a dead man, or, that everyone else was dead and in his or her own world, their own dimension of reality, or reality plane, and that I'm invisible to them. Then I had a party at my place to celebrate my coming of age a graduation party to others. I mingled around at the party. Some lame fruit loop spilled some major poo on my brothel stompers that night at my intense blowout. Claudia was so completely cute. Bagging zeds, sucking face to the maximum, riding the porcelain Honda in between beers and shots, all was good, Claudia was speaking with puber marks, they seemed to be hitting it off pretty well, I observed from a distance, Claudia was acting quite playful with puber, I grabbed another drink, then I saw my girlfriend starting to turn on me, it was puber marks, I confronted Claudia, I kicked everyone out before school authorities busted the place, and I started writing Claudia a letter. It's some proof of my sincerity towards you that I write when I'm prepared by drinking to speak truth. I'm living today in yesterday. I was in a complete fascination all day. I feel myself at your mercy. But I'm sorry, for I, at the party, I had a little to drink only. You ticked me off and I was rude to you and you went on provoking and I couldn't stop myself. You looked so beautiful. It made me glad to make you cry. Then I left you had more drinks, I vowed I would never see you again, but I can't keep that vow, I was spinning, what was I doing, please don't be angry with me, how could I help it, how can I, you cruel, 
cruel girl, now that was just like you to poor poo marks at the party, I can see you now, and hear you, you wicked, witching, malicious, merciless, mischief-loving, torturing, martyrizing, unspeakable to be feared and gone, the nymph you are, when you knew he, puber would give a year of his life to touch you, as me, what a world this is, what a sad world, I don't know what it doesn't deserve or what I can do, p.s. my mysterious girl, I forgot one little bit of this letter, but I can't forget it all, my heart is yours my thoughts, myself all but my memory, that's mine, now it's cool, as you say, to give me all that pain and then tell me, never mind, I won't do it again, how could you, I've enclosed a box filled with a hundred kisses, tell me if they come safe or if any are lost in any way, Claudia cried reading my letter the next morning, she opened the box, which I put exactly one hundred peaches in, she bit into one for breakfast, she took out some paper and wrote, I was miserable last night, the morning is always restoring, I was reading being and nothingness until late Saturday night, the phone rang four times, Claudia said she'd explain everything that night at eleven, it was past midnight and she hadn't called, then I got the call I was waiting for, I knew things weren't going so hot for Claudia and me, I didn't answer the phone all day, the answering machine picked up, you've reached Georgie Gust and the broken heart to Jubilee, Fitzy's new extension is one, zero, one, three, if you're so inclined, leave a message for me, B-E-E-E-P, hey Georgie, it's Claudia, it's Friday and it's around, I'm five o'clock or so, I think, I'm here, I'm going to be here the next couple hours, so if you get back at the same time, give me a call, I'm sorry I didn't call last night, um, but you can call me today, talk to you later, bye bye, click, I was wearing a white tank top and a nicotine patch on my shoulder, my hair was wet and I had a towel around my neck, I picked up the portable phone and dialed, Claudia was eating soup, the phone rang once, she picked up, hello, and I went off stream of consciousness, hi, it's me, good, collecting my thoughts, but I couldn't do so, you're at a loss for words, I'm at a loss for thoughts, would you mind if you go first, but you have nothing to say, okay, well the truth is that obviously some things have been bothering you about me since the party that's been built up, this is my analysis, don't take it for anything that it's not worth, but a few things have been building up in your huge capacity for emotions, and now it seems to be coming out that I'm trying to manipulate you to feel guilty when we had that whole communication that night when I said I wanted to get better, and things have been getting better since I'm on the new medication, and I think I scare you, do I scare you, how can you say you don't know me, well, I'm a complicated guy. This has happened to me all my life and I'm sick and tired of trying to explain myself. Alright, since my childhood, I've learned to forget bad times. If you were to break up with me, I wouldn't freak out. I would miss it. Yeah, I have a certain amount of caring in my emotional vocabulary too. It's like, maybe there's that 99% of me that you know, but it's that 1% that really matters. Okay, okay, okay. Later and I hung up, Claudia became upset, she picked the phone back up and dialed me back, but I had already left the room, I went next door to see Sean Fitzy, that guy I didn't hang around with much anymore, 
He'd become a big beer drinker and drug user. The radio was on. Sean was drinking a beer and reading an old hustler. He looked up at me. Hey, long time, no speako, I told him. Broke up with Claudia, have a beer, he offered. Sean opened his closet to pull out a Michelob from his hidden cooler. Moderation, moderation, like Aristotle, I thought as I drank through the night and talked nothing but chicks and dogs, no help or advice. Sean Fitz was like a busboy at a truck stop diner, never saw him again. Friends, I had a talk with Claudia, and I think I cleared things up, told her about my visit to the church and said how I think of security and reassurance, instead of opportunity, and that I must seem more afraid of life than death. I won her heart back, if she couldn't put up with me, so ridiculous, then, I thought, screw it, I'm worthy of anything I damn want, I initiated myself into what I called the broken heart of Jubilee, thought I was the only member of this made up club, but, isn't everybody a member and isn't it not just, but a thought only I dreamt up, isn't it real for almost all of our population? How many people do you know that are involved in a successful relationship? See what I mean. I gave my memoirs, at this point, to Claudia and that very night, I wrote her a note telling her if she could understand just a bit, to come over to the quad, room number 214. I wanted to make love to her. She came over. I hadn't made love with anyone before, and we didn't that night. She was Catholic, so she said, but the thing was, I couldn't make love, I couldn't love, I couldn't be loved, a hug, meant nothing to me, my mother showed her love to me with a wooden spoon, a shoe, or a belt, my dearest Georgie, what is it that makes you so anxious, are we not living side by side as peacefully as is possible in this misery, what comes over you, you are at once both the quiet and the confusion of my heart, imagine my heartbeat when you are in this state. I have read your long memoirs many times with burning cheeks in the hope that some kind of peace, some kind of gaiety, would somewhere show itself. It was surely only the mood of an unfortunate evening, and my agitated scrap from the chemistry stuff. I know that tomorrow will bring a confident email from my strong Georgie, who was overcome by exhaustion and terrible torment but for a single midnight hour, my futile striving for an impossibility. For the very moment, that is, your presence must surely dismay not only me, dearest, but you as well, as each time I dream of the two of us meeting again, but you may be right after all, once a day I should like to caress you, otherwise I would rather drop everything, otherwise I would not know what to do with myself, and it wouldn't bring you any nearer, but if only it would make you feel a shade calmer and more tranquil and more at ease with living in the philosophical world you live in, designed around a moral and physical set of strongly set and carefully thought out ideals and values, I would caress you twice again, in the powerful and supportive hope that your ideals would come to rescue from your unearthly dilemmas. It doesn't matter whether I'm in the mood for only one kiss for you that, doesn't matter what, Matters is whether by kissing or holding your hand or, walking through the yard twice a day I, could manage to summon at, least to some extent, the energy for everything else that is expected of me, let me kiss you, dearest, pale, tormented child, she who signs herself below brings to you, not only an object in your room but, as you would wish it, and forever.
I was overwhelmed with, well, Malhurus in your memoirs Friday night, and I assume you appeared rather sad to which this sounds unkind would have been rather a consolation, it was horrid leaving you my letter of response and leaving you that evening on the phone, but was practically unavoidable, so there's nothing to regret except what you said had to be done, and I think it was quite clever of me to put myself in your place, on your knees and my feet, and that I flatter myself I have thoroughly done. Sunday was a little disappointing, because although my conscience wanted me to go to chapel, I should have had some fun in writing this letter or calling you instead, in the morning, when I had simply slept until the afternoon. Regarding your memoirs, it gave me, in actuality, more delight than anything in the world but yourself could do, surely I'm almost astonished that anyone so far away should have that luxurious power over my senses which I felt and still feel, even when I'm not thinking of you I, receive your influence and tender nature stealing upon me, all my thoughts, my unhappiest days and nights, I have found not at all cured me of my love of beauty, but made it so intense that I'm miserable that you are not with me right now, or at any time you are not with me, for that matter, or rather breathe in that dull sort of patience that cannot even be called life, I never knew before what such a love you have made me feel, was, I did not believe in it, my fancy was, perhaps, afraid of it, it should just burn me up, for now, but if you will fully love me, though there may be some fire, it will not be more that we can bear when moistened and bedewed with pleasures. I have so much of you in my heart that I must turn to become a sort of mentor, if you will, when I see a chance of harm befalling you. I would and will never see anything but pleasure in your eyes, love on your lips, and happiness in your steps. I would wish to see you among those amusing ideals in life, suitable to your inclinations and set of ideals so that our loves might be a delight in the midst of pleasures agreeable enough, rather than a resource from vexations and cares, but, I do doubt much, in the case of the worst, whether I shall be a philosopher, a writer, enough to follow my own lessons, if I saw my resolution give you pain, I could not, why may I not speak here of your beauty, since without that, I could never have loved you from the start. I cannot conceive any beginning of love as I have for you but beauty, there may be a sort of love, for which without the least sneer at it, I have the highest respect and can admire it in others, but it doesn't have the richness, the bloom, the full form, the enchantment of love after my own heart, so let me speak of your beauty, though to my own endangering, if you could be so cruel to me to try elsewhere its power. You say you are afraid I shall think you do not love me or I do not love you. In saying this you make me ache the more to be near you. I'm at the diligent use of my facilities here working, on final studying, etc. And, here I must reassure you that I love you more in that I believe you like me for my own sake and, for nothing else I should not be all the time longing for you. Well I was wrong. I need you all the time when I am vexed and uncertain and tired but, more than ever on a night like this when everything is so unearthly and lovely, and I don't at all regret the haphazard, unhappy, lonely life I've led up until now because I don't think that without it I could love you so much, good night, my sweet angel, I love you more than I could find words to tell you, your Claudia, the whole world, at least our world, is encompassed within the universe, 
this universe that we can only imagine as seemingly having no end, and going back in time to the beginning, you know you can trace the speed of light, it's an incredible phenomenon, since the beginning of man, people have wondered how the darn thing was constructed and they went through stages where at first, all they saw were miniature worlds, back in the year 1000, men never lived long enough or traveled far enough really beyond one town where they lived, so they could only imagine what existed beyond the hills, and it's ironic because the things that existed right in front of them they knew extremely well, every tree, every villa, every knoll of land, but they could only imagine what existed beyond that, and when you don't know, you fear, ultimately, and they had these concepts of like, beyond the hills or in that dense, primeval forest existed fairies, or sometimes demons that would rush out and destroy them, or fierce, indescribable animals that would tear them apart if they wandered beyond their cloud fields, I mean, this is a strange mentality, yet, this is just a thought, upset by my illness, consumed by my anger of having to make an idol of an ideal I detest that is, my story in the form of poetic verse, I feel sick again, but I shall recover. I've burned all of my poems in the mad belief that I could refrain from writing things of that same depressing nature. So far, there is no evidence of the contrary. Dearest Claudia, it was good to get your excellent email. Dear Dolly, cupcakes, baby cakes, lollipop. Don't you think it would be a keen idea to keep all of my memoirs until the ripe age of 50, and then one fine day suddenly publish them all as the collected writings of Georgie Gust? and leave it to that, in a series of great men in our day, an artist who was truly an artist, a man with no preoccupations at all that would be phenomenal, I would live a life with you of immeasurable delight and my love for you could well up in us for the best part of a long while, I'm forgetting about my health, well my boils are going down quite a bit, my nuts and nape of the bowl inside my butt are looking better, yet, with stimulants, my nerves are not quiet as I promise to take care of the alcoholism, oral fixations, etc., soon it will be several months, in several months, since I blow bloody Mary chunks, on a better note, I have told you my passion, my eyes have spoken it, my tongue pronounced it, and my pen declared it, now my heart is full of you, my head raves of you, and here I write to you, for over one year now, I have seen only you, I have admired only you, I deserve only you, I will cover you with love the next time I see you, with caresses, with ecstasy, I want to gorge you with all the joys of the flesh, so that you faint and die, I want you to be amazed by me, and to confess to yourself that you have never even dreamed of such transports, when you are old, I want you to recall those few hours, I want your dry bones to quiver with joy when you think of them. Carry me off into the blue skies of tender loves, roll me in dark clouds, trample me with your thunderstorms, as will I, break me in your angry rages, as will I, but love me, my adored lover, my sweet sea I'm altogether immersed in the happiness I derive from seeing you, nothing else counts, I have you, little all precious one, little beloved sea, as much today as the day before yesterday when I could see you and I'll have you till the day I die, after that, nothing of all that may happen to me really has any importance, not only am I not sad, I'm even deeply happy and secure, 
even the most tender of memories of all your dear expressions, or your little arms cradle in my pillow in the morning, aren't painful to me, I feel myself all enfolded and sustained by your love, you have absorbed me, I have a sensation at the present moment as though I was dissolving, darling, my Claudia Louise Nesbitt, my Lolita, one line in haste to tell you that I love you more today than ever in my life before, that I never see beauty without thinking of you or saint happiness without thinking of you, you have fulfilled all my ambition, realized all my hopes, and made all my dreams come true, you have set a crown of roses on my raw youth and fortified me against the disaster of our days, your courageous gaiety has inspired me with joy. Your tender faithfulness has been a rock of security and comfort I have felt for you, my sweet Claudia, all kinds of love at once, I have asked much of you and you have never foiled me, you have intensified all colors, heightened all beauty, deepened all delight, I love you more than life, my beauty, and my wonder, my sea now in the quiet of the evening and the warmth of our bed a drugged and dreamy feeling steals over me and I feel as if I was with you once more, lying here, I love to think you near me, your arms encompassing me, my head buried in your shoulder, catching the rhythm of you breathing and living for a few exquisite moments as one being, I said I was dreaming, Claudia, but I'm so delightfully drunk relishing, such heavenly moments with you that I wish it would go on forever. For two days, oh God, I have been asking myself every moment if such happiness is not a dream, it seems to me that what I feel is not of earth, I cannot yet comprehend this cloudless heaven, and now, love, you with the warm heart and loving eyes, whose picture I have just kissed last night, as every night, and whose lips I so often kissed in my dreams whose love enriches me so bountifully with all pleasant memories of you in New York and sweet anticipations of being together forever, whose encircling arms shield me from so much evil and harm, whose caresses are so dear and so long for awake and in sleeping, making my heart beat faster, my skin tremble and my terrific brain joy with delight, whose feet I would like to kiss and whose knees I would long to embrace over and over again as a devotee kisses those of his idol, my Claudia, whose home is in my warm arms, and whose resting place is on the upper center of my belly, who first came to them as a frightened bird but now loves to linger there till long after the clock turns to the next day, my life, with your generous womanly soul, my heart's keeper and my true lover, to you whom when my mind is not occupied with your senses is dead and cold as the dark midnight river when the moon is down, I love you so, that really seems to be it, I've been reading Sartre and sometimes picking my nose in public, that's all, off I go, I lit a cigarette, puffed once, and then withdrew it from my mouth at once, Are these cigarettes, they're awful, and yet I can't give them up, I cough, get this tingling in my throat and have a hard time breathing, you know, I'm a coward, I went to the dock, up on Main Street here, what did he say Claudia asked, sitting on a stone, this doctor was a klutz, he only gives a half hour to each patient, he laughed at me yesterday, he's like, tobacco's bad for you, your lungs are affected, but how do I give them up, what's to take their place, I don't drink anymore, that's what's bizarre, he hear that I don't, everything's relative, everything's relative I pointed out, Give me that cancer stick, 
Claudia demanded. I was struck. No, I'm not going to be held responsible for killing you. Last time we met, I was the suicidal case, I reminded her. Claudia gently fingered the cigarette from my mouth, held it for a minute, and then put it out on the graveyard soot. I continued with my thoughts. Nonetheless, I've come to speak with you. I decided openness is better between us. What should I say? Just come, I thought. Even if I let one thing slip for a time, I'll get a hold of something else. I can't lose what I have. Claudia pointed at me. I was counting on your temperament, and your temperament above all things. I had great hopes for you. What are you driving at? What am I driving at? I've come to explain myself. I consider it my job, so to speak. I want to make it clear to you I'm not a monster. No, I never thought that, Claudia said. I wanted to tell you at first, that frankly and sincerely, I don't want to deceive you. When I first met you, I felt attracted to you. You might laugh, she didn't. I waited for her to at least grin. You have a right to. I mean I know you didn't like me from the start, I said. Then Claudia winced and overdue giggle. I didn't think that. I thought this young pseudo-intellectual, soon to blossom. I said to her, you may think what you'd like. But I hope to now do all I can to efface that impression and to show you that I'm a man of heart and sincerity. Claudia came across a bit uneasy. Why don't we take a walk? She suggested. I pulled her up and we walked slowly, together. It's scarcely necessary to go over everything in detail, I said. You know I've been a nutcase all my life. I'm willing to embarrass myself one more time. The final insult. I mean, I grew up as an outcast, basically lost my faith in everyone, had self-pity, like my incarnation was busted, a wrong incarnate, the faulty inborn who came here just to screw things up, till I met you, and, but I've grown up and down with this Tourette's disorder, but I find it not a disorder, but a sense of order, I reject time, people, myself, and have all these subtle physical symptoms that are beyond my control, but, I feel, I can only tell you what goes on, I grew upset, more and more, worse and worse as I explained myself, what goes on inside, what I'm, what I'm, I've been so frightened, so terribly, so terribly frightened of, Claudia sat me down on a bench placing her hand on my lap and I cried cries that waxed and waned as it became darker and darker in the park, until the evening shadows of us two were, as traces, the only appearance left. I was crying as to my lost mother, expressing my most private, innermost thoughts. I felt so vulnerable at this time but as I told my story, through an elastic tone of speech, I knew, or felt that it all must come out, to Claudia. By letting the world know, I was beating the horn-headed monkey that took me over. Even if it was only two years at a time. Oh God, Claudia. Oh my God. How did I do it? Claudia. Oh, Claudia caressed me. What is it, Georgie? It's all right. It's not all right. Just let it all out. Forget where we are. Here, Claudia reached in her purse and pulled out a bottle of water for me. I took it, quivering with shame and started gulping it down, slow, slowly, Claudia hushed, a sip at a time, I coughed up some of the liquid and went on explaining, when I see people, I see people bleeding from the nose, flaming fire from their heads, gulp, 
I see signs, billboards, reading, with flashing lights when there are none, my attention disappears, then comes back, then goes, it takes me 10 minutes to read one page from my philosophy text, I have to read a sentence, then read it over and say it in my head until it sounds just right, I hear a word that sounds interesting to me and it stays in my head sometimes for years, my body becomes numb, I feel all disoriented my feelings, my emotions, my body, brain, mind, and muscles, my inner muscles are in so much pain for all that I've held in, then I release, privately, storm tossed, and my heart is always pounding, even when I'm in a comfortable situation, nobody ever knew, but I don't care, I love you Claudia told me, I shouted back, but I do she continued, I want to marry you one day and your Tourette's doesn't bother me, it doesn't, I told you that, I think you're cute when you I hate it, okay I shouted, Georgie, I love you, oh, Georgie, I love you so much, you're beating yourself up, and I want you to know that I see beyond, way beyond what you're talking about, you twitch, I don't care, I don't, you're one angel, you speak so beautifully, you're handsome, you're going to live on and hopefully with me, Claudia said, I cut her off, I have phobias of being around the very people I loved, daydream delusions, panic attacks, no one ever knew, feeling like I was going to die, I'd first not know what's going on, blame it on the room temperature or the food I ate or my medication, nothing, TV shows made me cry, I'd be sensitive to love scenes, people dying, my father, oh, my god I was becoming hysterical at this point, Claudia, I loved him so much. Mom and Dad tried to have me 8 years before I was born, and had trouble, my mother had trouble getting pregnant, and they wanted a son, and then Dad dies, and old grade school friends now are dead too, or I found out are married, or have AIDS or HIV, abortions, or sold themselves too far, and all I do is try, I'd throw up, I'd make myself throw up 3 times a day, just because I always felt nervous not like an anorexic or bulimic, or whatever you call that, I thought it was the food I ate, or too much caffeine, that's why I'd miss class, drop a meeting, or run out sometimes, it wasn't you, senseless anxiety in the form of perilous attacks, I've never been regulated, caffeine for keeping up, PM pills, alcohol, to bring me down, self-medicating vitamins, there were never any drugs, there were never, never any drugs, Claudia, I thought I was going crazy, gambling occasionally, or for happiness, that's why I'm always taking the taxi off campus, there's these guys in the Georgie, I continued, I always wanted to be a hotshot, I've never been content, hallucinations, no short-term memory, painful psychic readings for assurance, tripping out, freaking out, nobody knows, and I'm not alone. One out of every 2,000 people has some form of it, like almost 1% of the world, really? I lifted my head and saw a single teardrop running down Claudia's cheekbone. She held me stronger. I told her what I saw. And you look like, I can see this, but it's not real. It's just me. It's this imp. I have this little horn-headed monkey, like a devil. And I never told anyone this. He's the Tourette's. I paused. Hell. I don't know whether to laugh or cry right now, situations, events, 
circumstances, the weather, rain, sunshine, it all made me so, I spat and sucked in the next breath of cry, fucked up, I'm sorry, Claudia, oh, I'm so sorry, the twitching, skipping, hopping, kicking, dancing, grimacing, my doctor, I don't even tell him this stuff, I think of suicide, knowing I won't do it, but think, what if I just charged across the street and have some cabbie nail me in the face, so violent, and maybe, it's like I'm in this alternate reality that I'm stuck in, but both, everyone else's and mine and I can't separate them, there's never been any cocaine, no crystal methane, it was just an excuse, a poor attempted solution of why I feel so, I can't, I owe Georgie, you are so courageous, Claudia pouted, never leave me, I will never leave you, I promise, and she cried, I promise you, the next day, Claudia and I walked around the graveyard, Claudia asked, when did you discover that you were happy last week, on Tuesday, no, Wednesday, it was Wednesday, in the night, after lights out, what happened I don't remember, I was walking in my room, I was alone, I stopped my watch, it was 2.37, was that a sign that time must stand still, it happens that for a few seconds, never more than five or six at a time, you suddenly feel, in an absolute way, the presence of eternal harmony, it's not anything earthly, and I'm not saying it's anything heavenly either, but I say that I couldn't in my earthly form endure it, I had to be transformed physically, or die, it was a clear and indisputable feeling, all at once, I seemed to feel nature in all its fullness and I thought, yes, that it's true, when God created the world, he said at the end of each day of his creation, yes, that's true, that's good, that it's not tender-heartedness it's only joy, you don't forgive anything because there's nothing to forgive, nor do you love, there's something better than love, the most terrible thing is that it's also clear and you feel such immense joy, and if that goes on for more than five seconds, your soul can't stand it, it needs to disappear. Damocles was one of those Greek adventure heroes, like Ulysses, Hercules, and Oedipus, one of these heroes, and in one of his adventures, he comes across a king on a throne, and Damocles looks up at the king and says, what's the honor to sit on the throne and the king looks down at Damocles and says, listen, kid, you want to sit up on the throne so bad, well, here, you can sit on this one over here, but, you have to sit on it for one full day, 24 hours, and Damocles is like, no problem, and he's ordering drinks, he's ordering dancing girls, but then he looks up above him and there's this long silver sword hanging suspended over his head and the sword is hanging by a single thread of human hair, now, the drinks don't taste as good, the dancing girls don't look so good, he can't leave for another 23 hours and 59 minutes, so he stays on the throne for the full day and the sword never falls on him, he enjoyed himself and he left, that was his potential, that was my potential, the moon, it's like waking up to yourself one day and realizing that you're totally lost, and trying to regain the simplicity and reality you once knew, and the daydreams, just momentary glimpses into my inside, what was really inside me, I thought I was alone, and thoughts that had once crossed my mind, sort of a reminder of my long-term memory, Claudia and I interconnected our dreams once, I was in hers, she in mine, 
the same dream. Pretty cool stuff. I volunteered my time at Beth Israel Hospital on Union Square in New York City to offer what I could for young kids who already had two strikes on their once-in-a-lifetime at bat for the pity I can see now. Geez, I suppose everyone's got some kind of misdemeanor that they are forced to live with, and my whole life, I don't think it's evolutionary, but instead circular in nature, and sometimes I just have to sit back and brood over the nature of things. I've been completely rehabilitated, even the cigarettes, things could be better, but I guess there's a time for everything, even growing up if it's already too late, postscript dreaming of a ridiculous man my Tourette's would diminish in about 5 years and Emily Jean Catherine Duval would have 2 kids with me, we named them Thatcher and Frederick, but we call Frederick T because he always has his head in my book stacks, that's part of my story, the part I told you, in the form of scattered thoughts, I'm going back to St. Michael's Academy to give a speech on their monthly school-wide seminar called Reflections, perhaps I'll enlighten someone else who's stuck there in seclusion, but this year's class will all get out as I did and hopefully see a more delicately balanced lifestyle around themselves and the people around them. I'm offering a scholarship to the Rowdy East incoming transfer student as well as a copy of my memoirs to the Reading Lounge at SMA. My mother went to AA and has been clean for over a year now. The letters I used to send frightened her. She told me that I always had a 10-grade system, there's that little percentage, often that's perfect and the rest is just work, but this is great. This train is great. For the past three days, there has not been one ray of sunlight, but I'm okay. The sky is grey, flat, and still. The rain falls without a pause an absolute silence, all I do is watch the clock and wait for tomorrow, I'm now alone for a bit again and, I find it embarrassing to hold conversations in my head without anyone ever knowing anything about them or being able to answer me, oh Claudia, I should like to erect a memorial to what has happened, what has already been experienced should regain in sentiment the place it lost in action, I told Claudia in a dream state, they must think I'm a madman now, that would be a distinct rise in my social position if it were not that they still regard me as absurd as ever, very bright, wealthy, successful, on Prozac, seeing a shrink, typical American dream maker, Drifty is hopelessly alone, like his own goddamn father, my nephew is seven, he already knows about bra sizes, my first girlfriend, in high school, was a C cup, I never liked coffee, but other people don't make me angry anymore, they are all kind to me now, even while they laugh at me yes, even then they are for some reason especially kind to me, I shouldn't have minded laughing with them not at myself, of course, but because I love them if I hadn't felt so sad as I looked at them, I feel sad because they don't know the truth, I know the truth, it's hard to be the only man who knows the truth, but they won't understand, no they wouldn't understand, and yet in the past I used to be terribly depressed at appearing to be so absurd, no, not appearing to be, but being, after I went to St. Michael's Academy, the more I learned, the more I became conscious of the fact that I was ridiculous, so that for me the years of hard work at Harvard seem in the end to have existed for the sole purpose of demonstrating and proving to me, the more deeply engrossed I became in my studies that I was an utterly absurd person, and as during my studies, so all my life, 
Every year, the same consciousness that I was ridiculous in every way strengthened and intensified in my mind. They always laughed at me, but not one of them knew or suspected that if there were one man on earth who knew better than anyone else that he was ridiculous, that man would be me. And this I mean the fact that they didn't know it was the bitterest pill for me to swallow. But there I was myself at fault. I was always so proud that I never wanted to tell anyone. I wouldn't confess that for anything in the world. As Claudia was dying, I offered my last confession. As the years passed, this pride increased in me so that now if I were to confess it to anyone the same night, I would blow my brains out. Eighteen years old, I felt it made no difference whether the world existed or if nothing existed anywhere at all. Nothing existed in my whole lifetime. There was nothing in the past that existed, or in the future. That's why I stopped being angry with others. I'm never lost in a thought. I never have anything to think about and regardless, nothing even matters to me anyway. I have to go now. But, I'm thinking, right now, Claudia, you asked me what I'm thinking of. I am still, just dreaming of beautiful people. My mother and I were together in the park once. When her rage attacks got worse from the stress at work, the alcohol, I said later that if she didn't stop the violence with me, she would be locked up in an insane asylum. So beautiful, her their first son died during childbirth, my parents didn't cry at the funeral, I know that, I know, dreams come in strange forms, on the train, this morning, I dozed off, everyone was happy and content, after my dream, I lost a knack for putting things into words, at least the most necessary and most important words, I long for life, and what is life, but a dream too, in one day, in one hour, everything could be okay at once, the main thing is to love your neighbor that's the main thing, nothing else matters, once you do that, you'll find out nothing else matters and everything can be okay, it's an old saying, a truth that's been told over and over again, but still finds no place among anyone these days, no one will ever get that, and she faded into blackness all my life, it all had to be renewed, the consciousness of life is higher than life, and the knowledge of happiness is higher than happiness, and that's what we have to fight against, and I'll continue from now on to fight, if only we all wanted it, everything would be okay, all was good, I guess there's a time for everything, but I will go on. I will go on. The entire scene changes completely. The story continues. What about God? No end. Something altogether different to the preceding a literary look into what's forthcoming. Let me lose my mind. Let me lose myself, and my body, spirit, and soul. I've stopped. Is genius crazy? With my uncle lying in his deathbed like a clown, eating chicken with his mouth open and bulging eyes, I wondered if I should be laughing or crying. Then tears rolled down my cheeks when Uncle Eric, are you referring to Uncle Martin, Ben, from a very long time ago, no, that's Pops, not my uncle, so as for Uncle Eric, he reminded me with a quiet whisper, I'm not going to make it much longer, Ben, he drifted off to sleep as I departed, my experience with these final hours of my uncle's life taught me that sometimes people are better off dead when they are face to face with it. Who would want to live any longer in such a ridiculous state, smoke break, who will be the next big person to die, expire, and pass on, digging up the damn dirt, 
parenthetical pet peeve, the past, I am still here in the psych ward, no, I mean, in my home with the cinder blocks and cement and stuff, with my electronic bracelets and monitors, I haven't been able to escape yet, but they give me day passes and things, but I'm home I'm still at home, you see, I stand, flinching, and cover the camera lenses, one at a time, until they see nothing but blackness, I sigh, and continue to speak, parenthetical pet peeve, the bloody psych ward above all things, yes indeed, I am still here in the intensive treatment program at MT Shasta, fuck, this is what I call home, the bureaucratic intake nurse had given me the sheet, and after all these years I finally look it over and still don't give a damn about it, I have had more than enough time so if you would like to see it for yourself, that's up to you, let me lose my mind, let me lose myself, and my body, spirit and soul, I've stopped, postscript, I think I might actually be crazy, after all, the my so-called life series has more closure than we do, in other words, Claudia, it's over, it's finally over, I'm breaking up with you again, and again, what about God, pessimists try to convince you the world sucks, optimists already know it does and smile anyway, professional schizophrenia, I stand among you I was born into wealth, I have health care and a college degree, no debt, a home, I have more than enough, I want to live in a world where all have enough, I'm the 1%, I stand with the 99%, confession of my iniquity I'm a troubled man, I'm not good, I burn bridges, I can't make my mind up about anything, I can love, but I cannot fall in love, I don't know how to trust, I make more mistakes than I should, I'm always sorry but, I never change. I'm afraid of letting anyone else in my life too close to me. If you want to come into my life, the door is open. If you want to get out of my life, the door is open. I have just one request. Don't stand in the door and block the traffic. It's impossible to learn to plow by reading books. Sometimes I feel like I don't know what's going on anymore. Like I don't care about anything anymore. Confused about my feelings. Not being able to explain how I feel except emptiness, I may feel that no one is really there for me, even if they are, that nobody understands me anymore, and it feels like I have nothing to look forward to, I feel nothing, I'm a compulsive liar, I don't understand why I do it, I make intriguing things up about myself, I can't even tell who I really am anymore, it seems I lie in order to feel better about myself. Maybe once I realize I'm a pretty spectacular person just the way I'm I'll, stick with the truth. I also try to show respect, even to people, including myself, who may not deserve it, not as a reflection of character but as a reflection of mine, but I miss the mark sometimes out of frustration, questioning why it's always me who tries to be right, feeling that other people are doing the wrong things at times. But at the end of the day, Respect is better. It's better not to even lower myself the tiniest bit. I'm better than that. Conversation with self. I woke up and set myself the goal of getting out of bed. I achieved it. I set my next goal of getting washed and dressed, and I achieved this too. Next, I successfully went to my first appointment of the day. Am I afraid? I was, at first. Why? Because I know I'm dying and, I'm not finished. With what? I don't know, 
Then why did you let yourself die? I didn't know I had a choice. Did it hurt? Not in a way you will understand. Well, what did it feel like then? It felt like forgetting. Like my life was slowly pouring out of me as I lay there grasping for it with invisible fingers. I watched it fall out of me as if it had never happened. It was that fast, the undoing of it all. And, just like that, it was gone. I was undone. I saw you at age 38, my same age, and I understood your own forgetting and how difficult it was to keep a life going when there was no body anymore. I understood my body was going. My arms were numb, my head heavy, my eyelids caked shut. I understood my body was disappearing, and I was afraid for what that meant. I was afraid of who I'd be without my body, and how would my grandchildren know the sound of my voice, and oh my god they wouldn't. It felt like forgetting. Letting go of the body is an effortless thing, unless you fight for it, and that's what I did. I fought. I fought to bring my body back, but I was too tired. I gave up fighting when I understood. What did you understand? That you might forget small details, but that you'd carry on my legacy, and that you and your mommy and your sister would know that I loved you and did the best I could, and that maybe I was finished. How can anyone really know, anyway? Did you, do the best you could? I don't know. Yes, maybe, no. Why is it so hard to do our best? Because we forget. You can also find Jonathan on Google+, Facebook, and Twitter, which is his preferred social media site. Author Jonathan Harnish has written a semi-fictional and semi-autobiographical best-selling novel, Jonathan Harnish, an autobiography, which is available on Amazon and through most major booksellers. He is also a noted, and sometimes controversial, mental health advocate, a fine artist, blogger, podcast host, patent holder, hedge fund manager, musician, and film and TV writer and producer. Google him for more information.